Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. So, uh, we are blessed today. What a blessing to be with you all. Um, if you would, you can turn to Luke chapter 21 and open your Bibles. My message today is titled, Could There Possibly Be a More Beautiful Building? Kind of a long title there, Could There Possibly Be a More Beautiful Building? And observing this passage we're going to look at, uh, we've surely each in our lives experienced moments or occasions of stress uh, when someone, perhaps a family member or friend that we know, steps in to, to change subjects in hopes to dissipate the tension. You know, often that causes even a more awkward moment. Uh, I do wonder if this is a partial explanation for verses 5 and 6. We will learn as we read, That following a long, exhaustive day of just tumultuous spiritual battle, uh, Christ is now leaving the temple. In fact, the account contained in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, tells us that by this time that that these words are spoken, uh, Jesus has already departed the temple and is now walking away. Uh, He is now crossing or is about to cross the Kidron Valley, headed towards the Mount of Olives, where he will later this evening, Wednesday evening, deliver to his disciples his famous Olivet Discourse. That is our next section after today in Scripture. Jesus' final lesson at the temple was declaring the woes to the scribes And to the Pharisees, his final illustration was a widow, representative at least in part, of an entire society that had been exploited by false religion. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, I wish that I could have gathered you as a hen does her chicks under her wing, obviously wanting to shelter them from the false religion, yet... He says, you were unwilling. Obviously then, this this allure, this appeal of false religion was far too persuasive upon men. The epicenter, central command for this false religion, is the magnificent Jerusalem temple. The second temple was originally constructed centuries earlier by Zerubbabel. There was the first temple by Solomon that was destroyed uh, at the exile. The second temple then was was built by uh, or uh, overseen by Zerubbabel. You may remember that God gave Zechariah the prophet a vision of uh, Zerubbabel holding a plumb line, right? A measuring line for doing foundation work and keeping things straight and balanced. So Zechariah had that vision, chapter 4, where he saw Zerubbabel holding that plumb line out to build God's second temple. 
And when they saw the second temple, those who had gone into exile, who, who came back into the land again, who remembered the first temple, uh, they wept. They wept when they saw the second temple, that older generation, because they could remember how the original built by Solomon was, was so much greater. So much greater than what they were looking at. God assured they were not to despise the day of small beginnings. The day of small beginnings. He promised He would do great things, but the people apparently grew weary in waiting. Weary in waiting. So the nation drew up plans for their own version of a temple. King Herod the Great uh, provided a grandiose plan, a design for a temple expansion. You know, Herod was neither great uh, nor was he Israel's true king. He was a half Jew. He was Idumean. Uh, he was uh, Edomite, and and he actually tried to snuff out the true king of Israel, if you remember right, with a with sending armies or, or soldiers to Bethlehem. So he was not a great king. Uh, Herod was resolute, however, that his name would be remembered as great, and he began underwriting. Uh, financially and by design, just a grand revision of God's temple that Zerubbabel had built. I didn't realize until this week, actually, as I was studying, that during the construction of what's called Herod's Temple, and uh, uh, it was always referred to as a, as a renovation, an expansion, a huge expansion of Zerubbabel's temple, but I didn't realize till this week that Zerubbabel's temple, the, the temple itself, was actually raised. It was, it was, it was cut down and uh, uh, to the foundation, apparently. According to John MacArthur, uh, he's citing Jewish historical records. It was leveled uh, to make way for what would be immortalized as Herod's temple. Same location, same foundation, Everything bigger and better and fancier and more improved. Uh, it was called Herod's Temple. We still refer to it uh, by that name today, often, by the way. I have a short video. It's about a minute and a half to show you. The, the structure is uh, magnificent. This is an a artistic representation of the temple uh, of those historians and specialists in history and archaeology uh, having input and and those people who are familiar with the seven if, if you've heard of the seven man-made wonders of the world many uh, of those who've studied the ancient world said that they consider Herod's temple the greatest of the seven wonders initiated by Herod in 20 BC the temple is still under construction and expansion now 50 years later when Jesus died, the project demanded enormous taxation to assist with the, the decor. Herod and religious leadership accepted many votive gifts. Votive gifts signify uh, gifts that were accompanying or symbolizing a vow that people were making. Uh, perhaps none is more famous than the bronze doors donated by an Alexandrian by birth named Nicanor, the doors of Nicanor. They were astonishing. 
Scripture refers to this doorway as, as the gate that is called beautiful. That's how it was referred to in that day. It separated two courtyards. Massive. Uh, said to be 60 feet high, the doors were massive, as you'll see represented in the video. So heavy, it is reported that it took 20 men to open or close them. Those were from Nicanor. Herod himself, King Herod, donated a gold vine that you've probably heard of before. And it is recorded on this vine that just one cluster of golden grapes stood six feet high. That's how amazing it was. There were many other votive gifts integrated that were nowhere prescribed by God. Uh, Nonetheless, we will, through this video, uh, we need to get a firm grasp of just how visibly impressive this temple was. Sometimes we think of it as just an old concrete building. Um, It was amazing. It was amazing. Again, perhaps, uh, or at least by some, considered the greatest wonder of the ancient world. I have one more uh, picture that I just want to show you here. A representative of the the Temple Mount, the, the foundation area of it, which we have documented very clearly from, uh, from modern archaeology. Uh, it's widely acknowledged that at the time of Jesus, the Temple Mount engulfed a full one-sixth of the area of Jerusalem. Uh, do you remember uh, the detail with which God specified uh, when he commanded Israel to build that first tabernacle tent in the wilderness? The, the detail that he gave Israel, that he wanted it very specific, uh, and, and there's the vision of the plumb line with Zerubbabel that you will build the second temple like this by the order of the Lord. Do you know what I envision? As grand as this is, what I envision when I hear about those, those bronze doors and golden grapes, what I think about comes to mind is Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire to God that God had never asked for. 
he had never told them uh, to do these particular things. Uh, whose temple is it anyway? Whose temple is it? Uh, which prophet told them it was acceptable to do this? Now, surely this was the proper location for Israel to offer sacrifices under the law. Surely it was God's house. Uh, My house shall be called a house of prayer, said Jesus. He identified it as God's house, Matthew 21. Uh, But what had Israel done? They had, Jesus said, made it a den of thieves. A den of thieves. Truly the temple had become headquarters for false religion. It is no surprise that Jesus did not base his ministry there. He did not. John the Baptist did not hang out at the temple. He went far off there over the other side of the Jordan when he did his ministry. We've seen throughout the Gospel of Luke that Jesus spent the the vast majority of his three-year ministry itinerantly moving around, going to far places in Galilee and spending much time there and, and going out to the people in order to minister to them. When he did visit the temple, when those occasions would come where he was at the temple, uh, he almost always incited conflict. Almost always incited conflict with the religious establishment. You know, false religion had commandeered the temple. Taken over the temple. Which, by the way, Jesus had spent most of the last three days exposing with his woes to the Pharisees and with his teaching. So as I stated last week, you know, Jesus mood. It isn't particularly pleasant as he's uh, departing now for the final time walking away from this temple. Meanwhile, Mark says that as the disciples marveled at the structure, one of them initiated this icebreaker with Jesus after this long, hard day. Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. That's Mark 13 verse 1. You know, if if comedian, comedian Bill Ingvall was there, he, he might have just said, you know, here's your sign. Here's your sign. This isn't about a building. It's not about a building. The twelve were experiencing that, that same vacuum, that, that suction, that same religious vortex that had sucked a majority of Israel into spiritual apostasy. That is a visible impression of success. It looked great. This is where we are in Luke chapter 20 verse 5. There we are told, and while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, Jesus said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one stone left upon another which will not be torn down torn down that's that's the destiny for this grand place you know you know it's almost as if it's almost as if an hour is coming and already is where you will no longer worship on a mountain in samaria nor in jerusalem at the temple but those who worship God will be worshipers in spirit and truth, for God desires worshipers such as these, right? That, that day is already here. It has dawned. Uh, it is these worshipers the Father seeks in John chapter 4. 
the Jerusalem temple, as grand as it was, as grand as it has been portrayed, nonetheless has lost semblance, it's no longer emblematic of true biblical Old Testament scriptural religion. Uh, and in fact, we have seen the, the way that temple worship had been distorted by men who, who, had, who had actually made it into a barrier to coming to God. Uh, merchants were selling, you know, priests were profiteering uh, through the induction of, of votive gifts, gifts with vows. It became a place where now the names of men were being admired for their, their flamboyant contributions. You know, when you think about it, the whole, the whole operation had caved to the influence of an unbelieving pagan king named Herod. It's now referred to as Herod's Temple. <laughs> think about that. Think about the naming rights on that. When Herod arrived and told the, the Levites and the sons of, of Aaron, you know, you know, I'd like to dress this place up a little bit. Let's give it a little pizzazz, you know, give Yahweh all the glory he really deserves. You know, how, what do you think about that? Should we, should we link arms? They should have immediately sensed that Satan was trying to get a foothold, trying to, trying to buy influence in the house of God. They should, have, they should have actually rejected his advancements and said, you know, that, that temple that God instructed Zerubbabel to build, we're good with that. We're good with what God had built. Thank you very much, but no thanks. But, but the perceived spiritual advancement of God's house, the, the perceived, the, the visual impression of success, the grand, grand visual impression, that was, that was far too great for spiritual leadership uh, to let pass by. What an opportunity, they thought. I'm certain they found all kinds of ways to justify their cooperating with Herod. You know, the benefit of the increased space is going to help us welcome more people. You know, the hinges on the old doors, they were kind of creaking anyhow. You know, we're going to get some new big doors. You know, perhaps they welcomed uh, the tax incentives. Getting Herod involved for building this thing, making it big. Whatever their excuse, whatever their reasoning was, they sold out so that they could attain an appearance of success. Appearance of increased success. Folks, and it worked. It, it worked. They had an appearance of religious success. Visitors came. They were, they were truly impressed with what they saw. Magnificent with what they saw. I tell you what, folks, you know, when it comes to the blending of true, true Orthodox, Bible believing religion, scriptural religion with unbelieving government, don't do it. Don't, don't ever crack that door. It didn't work within a theocracy of Israel, a theocratic form of government. You know, America is not even a theocracy. Secular government needs to stay out of the affairs of the church. Herod should have stayed out of the affairs of the temple. You know, today the government, they do stand at the door and knock. They do. They will gladly come in and sup with conditions. 
with conditions. Uh, don't answer or open the door. You know, soon enough we're going to hear, uh, soon enough we're going to hear that knocking come come to a pounding. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Some churches will compromise. Some will. Uh, they'll take the deal. They'll be permitted to receive certain subsidies, perhaps with conditions attached. Maybe all kinds of new doors will be opened to them to reach larger numbers of diverse people. Maybe they can increase the number of guests. It it, it might even read like a real success story. Oh yeah, we've partnered with the government. We've really, we've really grown. We've we've really gotten big. Many will marvel at the appearance. You know, look what's happening in God's church. It's really, really taking off now. Folks, don't open that door. Don't open that door. Because that, that type of building project, it, it may come adorned with improved architecture, votive gifts. It might even offer a tax deduction. But worship that emphasizes appearance and how things look over theological substance Jesus warns is going to fall it's it's going to fall verse 6 as for these things which you are looking at the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another the bottom line is as 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 far as that display that that they are looking at the disciples are currently looking at God never asked for that. God never asked for that. He, and He doesn't need that to further His building project. He doesn't need that. If you need or, or if you would like further evidence that God doesn't need that, that to further His kingdom, just uh, download some satellite images of the Temple Mount today. Alright? Take a look at what's sitting there. It isn't Herod's temple. What is standing there is a Muslim mosque. God doesn't need uh, Herod's temple. Uh, Did God need the temple to be torn down? Well, no, He didn't need it to be torn down. The Holy Spirit had been expanding and equipping the church for a few decades before the temple uh, was ever destroyed. Uh, The church was, was doing quite well, quite handily. It didn't have to come down for the Spirit to do His work, but apparently... God desired that it come down. You know, I, I think about this just this week, pondering this, why it's gone. Why it's that, just that grand temple isn't still standing. And, and thinking about this, I, I think of how if that temple were still standing today, it would be a horrible distraction. It would be a horrible distraction from what Christ's church is doing. Um, there are already plenty of people who are uh, in the Christian camps who are going back to Sabbatarianism, uh, dietary restrictions, all kinds of legalistic Old Testament Judaism. Just think if that temple were still there. J- just think of the confusion. God doesn't leave any confusion. That temple's gone. It is gone. Uh, th- this is conjecture. I could be wrong in this. But apparently God is more content... Enduring a symbol of false religion on that temple mount than he is with a beautiful building symbolic of true Old Testament religion that had been distorted. As we saw with the scribes in long robes last week, 
Christ reserves his severest rebukes for those who should know better. Those who should know better. But install, instead put on a, a false religious display. Long robes, big chairs, fancy buildings. But putting on a show, people know it works. It works because people are so easily impressed and so entangled by what they see. You know that uh, projecting a, a building program, a, a, a new building, to project a vision of that, it, it is one of the most effective ways for a pastor to accelerate and increase giving at a local church. Do you know that? You find that out in seminary. Did they teach it that, Daryl? Um, yeah, it's true. It, it's true. Some, some when, they, when they really want to get big, they say, you know what, we need to sell... The idea of a new building, and, and people immediately, immediately identify and assess new buildings as success. Immediately, they can see it. So setting up a replica out in the, out in the, in the vestibule of a new grand building, you look at it through a, a glass case, um, setting up a scale model of a proposed building project, well, that, that's big business today. Big business. You know, you need people to visualize it. You need them to see it so that they will be stirred to sacrifice, to serve, to give to the concept of a building. It's usually referred to as buy-in. You've seen that before, haven't you, Steve? Yeah. Buy-in. Buy-in. That's what we do. What I'm going to do for you today then Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to present you with a building project with a goal of having you buy in. All right? Get out your pledge sheets, okay? By the end of service, we're going to be collecting pledge sheets. Buy in. Buy in. There is no denying that Herod's temple was an incredible structure. Incredible structure. I would like to have seen it, to be honest. It, it, it had to have been incredible, like I would have liked to have seen the Grand Canyon and everything else. But could there possibly be an even more beautiful building? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm, I'm glad you asked because our church has, has ventured to build an even more elaborate temple than Herod's. All right, you ready? I build an even more elaborate temple. Is it expensive? Oh, yeah. Cost is infinite. Cost is infinite. Uh, Fortunately, the entire building, it's already paid for. The building itself is already paid for. Uh, now, how many church projects have you ever, church building projects have you ever come to where that's happened? Building's already paid for. All you've got to do is put it together and, and serve. But it's true. It's true. And unlike the temple in Jerusalem, this building is never going to crumble. It will never catch fire from an oily rag. On scaffolding, the roof is never going to collapse on it. Even when confronted by hell, it is never going to be destroyed. Never going to be destroyed. Here's the best part. It is, it is, this, is, this is the truth. It is more beautiful and, and, and grander than any building you have ever seen. Grander than any building you have ever seen. Would you think that people would want to get involved with that? The greatest building, the greatest temple 
that has ever been erected. You would think people would want to be in on that action. For this reason, Scripture repeatedly uses the metaphor of a building of a temple for Christ's church. This is something that God prescribed how it will be built, specifically. Uh, I read to you earlier from Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we Jews and Gentiles, we, we're now one body. It said, fellow citizens with the saints, we are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, that means all Christians, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. A temple that is a dwelling of God in the Spirit. By His Spirit, by His Spirit, God is dwelling in and among His people. Uh, you know, if you, if, if you want to build God's temple, you don't go out and get a contractor named Herod. If you want to build God's temple, it, it can't be done with only brick and mortar and scale models. You must add people by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. You, you can't add, you can't build any other way. No matter how many people you're able to gather together, you can't build without the Spirit. In that same letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, we're told in verse 13, In Christ... You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, reigns now from the right hand of God. That gospel, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The, these are God's provided instructions. This is how He wants it built. He doesn't build any other ways we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, for we were all made of one Spirit to drink. It's the only way this temple gets built is by the Spirit. Uh, as God told Zerubbabel how to build the temple, and when building that temple, which by the way served as a foreshadowing of the temple through Christ, that... that uh, Zerubbabel being told how to lay it out uh, to build a temple, that is a foreshadow of what we're building today. And God told him, not by power, not by might, but by what? By my Spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. That's it. The Holy Spirit, that's it. That's the only way to build the temple. God, God doesn't need a physical temple. He, does, he doesn't need a building at all. Um, this is, by the way, that got, what got Stephen, the first martyr of the early church. This is what got Stephen in trouble, all right? Um, in Acts chapter 6, Scripture says first that Stephen was full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of Spirit and wisdom. In fact, we are told that, that some of his opponents, those who stood against him, were unable to cope with the wisdom and the Spirit with which Stephen was speaking. They were unable to cope. I think, I can't be certain on this, but I think that likely Stephen 
was teaching the priests what Jesus taught his disciples in verse 6. The looming destruction of the temple. The looming destruction of the temple. Here's why. Regardless of where you, where you come out on this. Stephen was accused. Stephen was accused of speaking against the holy place. That, that is the temple. Herod's temple. Stephen was accused of speaking against the holy place. Allegedly, he was heard saying, this is Acts chapter 6, verse 14. This is what G- Stephen was heard saying, allegedly. Jesus, the Nazarene, will destroy this place and alter the customs of Moses. That's what Stephen's charged with. The first martyr of the church. Now, Stephen's accusers were... In saying this, they probably misrepresented his words, but they were on topic. They were on topic. And when the high priest inquired with Stephen, you see this in Acts chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest inquired with Stephen, he says, are these things so? Do you want to hear the response of Stephen? This is enlightening. This is good. Stephen got to speak for himself with this reply, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. That was the tent. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. Again, specificity. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon disposing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers. That is, he said, until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight, and asked that he might find a dwelling place for, God, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And this is how Stephen responds. Uh, this is all his response. This is what he says. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. You got that? That's what Stephen was declaring and it says in in you go to acts chapter 6 that quite a number of the priests were starting to come to faith through the preaching of stephen and the others who are full of the spirit and wisdom so this is the topic they're on what is the temple of god now remember as he said this before the high priest herod's temple still standing that grand temple's right there it's towering When Stephen dared to make such an assertion, what would their reaction have been? Think about that. You're trying to tell us that God doesn't live in this place. Really, really. And Stephen clarifies. Get this, get this. Here's what Stephen clarifies. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised at heart, always resisting the... Holy Spirit. He said, the temple, God's dwelling, is not built by human hands. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can build God's house. The reality is God did not dwell in their man-made temple, Herod's temple. His physical presence, it had not filled the temple since before the exile, before Israel's exile to Babylon, centuries earlier in Ezekiel chapter 10. It is there that Ezekiel had the vision uh, of 
the glory of the Lord departing the temple. Ichabod, if you remember that, the glory has left God's temple. The physical presence, the, the pillar uh, by day, the column of fire by night had left the temple. It didn't come back. There's no record of it coming back to Herod's temple. Folks, the reality is those priests, they were standing in a beautiful temple, perhaps the grandest wonder of the ancient world. But when it came to building the house of God, they were only spectators to what God was doing through others. They were only watching what God was doing through the early church. They were standing in a great building, wonderful building, but they resisted the Holy Spirit. You know, a person needs to ask themselves, am I resisting the Holy Spirit? Am I resisting what God is building? Am I just a spectator to what God is doing through others? Because the truth is, folks, the truth is, most people would rather serve as a spectator while sitting in a very grandiose building that they built, that they can see, rather than a servant of God's temple that the Spirit builds that they can't see. That's the reality. People would rather serve what they can see. The question remains, however, could there possibly be a more beautiful building than Herod's temple? Folks, there is. There is. It's a building where God actually dwells. Revelation chapter 21. Here it is. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now now stop right there. What is the bride adorned for her husband? The church. The church. The new heaven and the new earth, that is reflective of 2 Peter chapter 3, arriving, of course, after the old heaven and old earth are destroyed with intense heat. It is the day of the Lord that will come like a thief. So I accept the new heaven and the new earth as literal. Literal. Replacing the old heaven, the old earth. Not a test question here, but think to yourself. How about the new Jerusalem? The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as the bride of Christ. Is that city literal or is it symbolic of the church coming down out of heaven to repopulate the earth where righteousness dwells? There's a lot of debate over this. That hasn't been settled in 2,000 years. We're probably not going to settle it today. But Revelation 21 verse 3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the dwelling of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, pain. The first things have passed away. There's a lot of disagreement on this. Whether the New Jerusalem is a literal or symbolic uh, representation of the church. I think 
The city can be taken as literal if we accept one crucial prerequisite. One crucial prerequisite. The new Jerusalem has been constructed in such a way that it is symbolic of the church, the bride of Christ, in the way which it is built. It is symbolic of the church. Um, The city serves as a physical representation and a reflection of the spiritual dwelling that God has built through his saints by his spirit through his service, through his service. Listen to um, verse 10 describing this new Jerusalem, all right? It's new Jerusalem. John says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the Holy Spirit, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone. Look at the stones now when we get here. A very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels and names written uh, that were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, west, north, and south. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Of course, knowing the church... Uh, uh, Christ is the church's one foundation. He is himself the chief cornerstone. Next, John provides the building materials of this, what he sees. Reflecting, by the way, uh, he gives dimensions first, reflecting its enormous size. Then he comes to the building materials. Listen to this, verse 18. The material of the wall is jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass, The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Think of this city that God has built. That God has built. Uh, The preciousness of, of all the decor and stones and the types of emeralds and everything else that that are really priceless when you think about that Christ gave his own blood. Are you building? Are we building? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Each will receive his own reward According to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which has given to me, like a wise master builder, says Paul, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. 
But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Think of the building. Build, build, build. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church is one foundation. Now think New Jerusalem. Verse, verse 12, Paul writes, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, each man's work will become evident, for the day will reveal it. What day? That's the day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord. When the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, consuming the old heavens and the old earth, along with the wood, hay, and straw, the stuff we spend most of our time with, right? But Paul says, if any man's work remains on that beautiful building, he will receive a reward. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You want to talk about a magnificent building? Herod's got nothing. All those years, I, free, I, heard, I read some, so many statistics, I can't remember them all, but there's at one point where there were 10,000 uh, laborers working on that temple for four years straight in one season of that expansion of that temple that is going to crumble. Yet it is so difficult to get us uh, to work on something we can't see. The precious stones, the gold, the silver representative folks of redeemed souls representative of redeemed souls it's god's building he is dwelling among men could there possibly be a more beautiful building the church of god is god's dwelling it's a new jerusalem the only building that will endure with god when the new heaven and the new earth comes you know I'm asking myself the same thing. Why would I waste my time building anything else? There's one more thing about the New Jerusalem before we go. I'd like you to notice as we depart. It's interesting. Interesting little fact here. Revelation 21 verse 22. There John says, I saw no temple in it. Why? Why? It says, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. No temple in the New Jerusalem. God didn't need Herod's building project made to honor man, crumbled in 70 A.D. The Spirit of God, Stephen says, didn't dwell there anyhow. So Jesus says there will not be one stone left upon another. You know, in a sense, I was thinking through this week, this, this week you may disagree Consider it. I'm thankful the temple isn't there. I really am. I can't say that I'm thankful that there's a Muslim shrine there, but I'm thankful that that temple is not there because of the confusion that it would cause between what the church is actually supposed to be building. No wonder God allowed the Romans to come in and cut it down. 2,000 years. It's cut down. We are building a church, not a building. I think with modern architecture and tourist trappings and everything else that they can do today, think of how they'd have that place renovated over there in Jerusalem if they could actually have a temple now. Think of what they would do, the, the trapping that it would be. There'd probably be a Starbucks in there. 
They'd have everything. It'd be, it'd be six times what it was. They'd, they'd just keep building and building and building something that God wasn't in. Let's not do that same thing. What God is building with redeemed souls becomes a new Jerusalem, a dwelling far greater, more beautiful than anything Herod or any other man could ever build, one that will never crumble or fade away, a city of God filled with precious souls where righteousness dwells. That, that is what God is building. Question, said, question to ask is, are we? Are we? The day of the Lord will reveal it. It will reveal it. Let's pray. Father, as we consider uh, your work of redemption, of regeneration, Lord, through your Spirit, uh, baptizing, uh, spiritually baptizing uh, new believers into the church, Lord, that is all done, we know from Scripture, only by the gospel and through your Spirit. And Father, um, we ask that you would use us for your building. Lord, that you would uh, stir us by your Spirit to uh, have immense concern about those who are perishing. And Lord, uh, immense concern for what you are building. For Lord, you show us that it is beautiful. It is truly beautiful. And, and we look forward to the day that that project is complete, that you've redeemed every soul that you are to redeem, that you would, uh, Lord, initiate a new heavens, a new earth where righteousness dwells, a new Jerusalem magnificent in every way uh, where only righteousness dwells. And Lord, uh, we long for that day, yet uh, Scripture assures us as long as you have left us here, the building, the, the construction work, the laboring isn't done yet. So Father, I'd ask that we would do that. Ask that we would be laborers sent into the harvest. For the, for the harvest is plentiful. You said from early on, the laborers are few. Lord, let that not be said of us. In Christ's name, amen.